So what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk briefly about value systems. Uh, the definition of a value system is a set of values according to which a people, society, or organization conducts their lives and behavior. Um, so whether we realize it or not, every single culture has a value system. Um, America has a value system. America has painted this thing that we call the American dream, where you go to school, uh, you go to college, you get into the trades, you get a good job, you get married, you have 2.5 kids, you save for retirement, and then that's it. So no matter what culture you're living in, that culture has a set of beliefs and it has a value system. Um, but what I want to propose this morning is what if at the end of your life you realize that Jesus had a different value system than you? Now, again, all those things that I just mentioned aren't bad things. Having a nice job, not a bad thing. Nice family, not a bad thing. But what if that isn't number one on Jesus's lift, uh, on his list? What if you find that at the end of your life, there was some things that were more important to the Lord than what you realized? So what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the only thing I ever want to talk about, and that's intimacy. Um, and that's relationship and communion with our Father. And I want to talk about that in a couple different ways this morning. Um, but I'm going to open up in John chapter 15. This is basically my life chapter. It is probably the best chapter in the Bible, in my opinion. Uh, so John 15, 1 starts out, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the true vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone, abide, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Um, and then going on to John 17, I believe verse 3 says, Jesus talks about knowing the Father. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. Okay, so what I believe um, happens a lot is that we tend to overcomplicate uh, life. We tend to overcomplicate everything that's going on. Uh, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out what is this complex um, equation? What's the complex answer to this equation of life when it comes to receiving breakthrough, when it comes to receiving healing, when it comes to having peace, when it comes to having joy? What do we need to do to have all of that? And a lot of the times what we do, Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So what I feel like we do sometimes often is we seek first all the other things, and then we neglect seeking the Lord and wonder why everything doesn't make sense. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that the complicated formula simplified is this, sit with Jesus. No matter what you do for, for work, whether you stay at home, whether you take care of your family, whether you're a CEO, a doctor, a businessman, nurse, whatever it is, the most important thing I believe that anyone is ever going to do each and every day is sit at the feet of Jesus, is to look and glean at the beauty of the Lord. Um, so think about it like this. We, we, we talked about John 15, the branches abiding. So let's say that you, know, you were given a task. And, you know, let's say that there's a tree in your backyard and 
you are given the assignment to uh, tend to that tree and have fruit grow off of the vine, off of the branches. Um, so what you do is say, okay, it's my job to cultivate this tree. It's my job to produce fruit, all of that kind of stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut off the branch and I'm going to carry it around with me close, and I'm going to give it water, I'm going to give it sunlight, I'm going to hold it really close, I'm going to pray about it, all that kind of stuff. How many of you know that no matter how much you hug that branch, no matter how much water you give it, it is not going to produce fruit because you've cut it off from the very source that's supposed to give it life? And that's the same thing with us. The Bible talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that's so, so, so true. However, when we disconnect from the very thing that's supposed to give us life, Soon we're going to rot. Soon we're going to begin to decay. Um, and even if that tree in your backyard has been around for 50 years, 75 years, 100 years, over 100 years, if you cut off the very source that's supposed to give it life, no matter how strong it once was, soon it's going to begin to decay. And a lot of it, again, is knowing our part versus knowing God's. Um, we believe our part is fixing ourselves. We're, we're prone uh, to analyze our lives and create this huge laundry list of all these things that we have to do, all these things that we need to fix about ourselves, not knowing that really a lot of that is God's job. Our job is to sit. Our job is to be with the Lord. And change and fruit comes naturally out of that place of abiding. A lot of the times we're searching and searching and searching for this equation, not knowing that we're one spirit with the answer. And the Bible says that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So that kind of speaks of the revelation the Lord desires to have with us. He doesn't desire for us to be simply uh, peers with him. He doesn't want us to be simply acquaintances with him. He wants us to be so intertwined to where he can't be separated from us and we can't be separated from him. Um, so uh, we're going to go into Isaiah. I love what... Um, Pastor Joey talked about during the exhortation, during the transition time, talked about the throne room, the elders, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we're in uh, Isaiah 55, 9, and it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we know that the Lord is seated far above where we are. We, we see right, what, what's uh, right in front of our faces. The Lord sees the whole entire picture. And then we're talking about the throne room, and we're talking about these four creatures around the throne room. Do you guys know what those four creatures are like? The Bible literally describes these four creatures as one's like a lion, one's an ox, one's like an eagle, one's like a man, and they all have wings, and there's eyes all over their wings. This is who God decided to hang out with. Like, like, think about that for a second. Like, out of all the things the Lord could have created to hang out with for eternity, where time doesn't even exist, he chose to hang out with these creatures with huge wings and eyes all over their wings. And we wonder sometimes why the Lord doesn't make sense. We wonder sometimes why we, we, we don't completely understand them. Um, long ago, I, I, I kind of came to a realization to where I had to give up my right to understand um, I had to give up my right to know why for every single little thing. Um, you know what I mean? And some of those things are big, and, and, and that can be tough, but you don't need to always understand everything. You just need to know that the Lord's perfect. You need to know that what you're going through in life, no matter what you're facing, the beauty of the Lord remains. He's still breathtaking in the low times, and he's still breathtaking in the high times. We need to understand that no matter what we're going through, he's perfect. No matter what we're going through, he has a plan. 
and his, and his, his, uh, his beauty remains. So we're talking a little bit about value systems. I want to jump over to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I am using a, um, this is a real Bible, just so you guys know. So if anyone's using a real Bible out there, uh, just in case if uh, you forgot how to use one, if you need to go to a new page, instead of swiping up, for this, what you do is you swipe, you, you swipe horizontal. So if anyone is, is, is confused on that, maybe you forgot. Um, it's, it's been a while since you've had a physical Bible. I just wanted to kind of clarify that for you. Um, thank you for chuckling at that. But uh, yeah, so Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. This is a pretty familiar verse uh, for a lot of people, but it says, uh, Jesus is talking, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this says many people are going to come to Jesus saying, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? Look what we accomplished. We, we, we prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. We, we raised the dead. We cleansed the lepers. We performed many mighty works in your name. And he's like, yeah, that's all great, but I never knew you. All of those things are amazing, but you, there, there was one thing that I esteemed higher on my value system that you neglected, and that was communion. That was me knowing you and you knowing me. And when we grasp that, when we grasp the importance of knowing God, what we're actually doing is we're actually aligning ourselves with our, with our true and intended purpose, which is to be loved by God and in return love him which is to be known by the Lord and in return, know him. A lot of the times when we read that word know, it comes from a Greek word that means gnosis. And that word gnosis means to know by experience or to know even as a man knows his wife. So we can see even in this passage, Jesus proposed a different value system. Going on into Luke chapter 10. When you use a real Bible, it actually takes time off your sermon too, so... Just kidding, kind of. All right, so Luke 10, verse 20, or actually I think uh, a little bit before 20. Yeah, starting in verse 17. I don't know if I have all that up or not. Yeah, I do. Um, it says, uh, Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy. So Jesus just sent out the 72 to, to witness and to minister. They, they performed many mighty miracles, saw some crazy stuff. The 72, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Never Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we see again, Jesus proposes a different value system. The 72 returned with joy. They were excited. They were proud of themselves saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Lord, look how great that is. And the Lord's like, yeah, that's awesome. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you belong to my family. Re re rejoice that we share communion. Rejoice that you get to share in the most important thing in life, and that's knowing me and me knowing you. So why does intimacy matter so much? It matters because it's the reason why we were created. We were originally designed to walk with the Lord. We were originally designed to commune with him, to be in relationship with him. And a lot of times in, in America, in our value system, and in, in all the busyness of life, we get so busy, 
oftentimes we forget to sit and enjoy Jesus. We forget to sit and adore the Lord. We can't get so caught up in all of our plans, our agendas, and, and our dreams. I'm all about dreams and plans, all that kind of stuff. It's good, but we can't get so caught up in all that stuff that we forget to enjoy the Lord and we forget to adore him. Um, so what I want to do now, I want to go over into the book of Hebrews. And I want to talk a little bit about our view of intimacy versus the Lord's. So Hebrews 11.6 says this. He says, um, And without faith it is impossible to please him, meaning God, for whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And like I said before, I'm all about intimacy. I'm all about seeking the Lord and pursuing him. But when I came across this verse a while ago, I kind of got stuck because of one word, and that was diligent. So let's say there's 60, 70 people in this room. If I were to give you guys all a sheet of paper and say, hey, write down on this sheet of paper, what do you think it means to diligently seek the Lord? I'm going to guess that we're going to get 60 to 70 different answers on what it means to diligently seek the Lord. So I want to propose that question to you. What does it mean to diligently seek the Lord? I was searching for this answer. I couldn't really find it. I heard this one guy named Brian put it like this, very simply, let Jesus be your standard. And that's a great Christian answer, and it makes sense. But if you're familiar with the Gospels, that should maybe make you take a little bit of a step back because how often in the Gospels do we see Jesus tucking away to go be with the Father? How often do we see scriptures that read something like all the disciples were sleeping, but Jesus was up on a mountain praying, or it was midnight and Jesus was praying, or Jesus prayed all night and then went over here, or that before the sun rose, Jesus withdrew to a desolate place to go pray. How often do we see passages like that? So letting Jesus be our standard for what it means to diligently seek the Lord. So when it comes to, to, to friendship with the Lord, when it comes to intimacy, I believe that in life, we move to basically four different avenues of intimacy. We move from being a stranger, because we all have to meet the Lord one day. So we move from being a stranger to an acquaintance to a friend, and then lastly, a bride. And what I want to talk about this morning is our view of intimacy versus the Lord's, what it actually means to be a bride, what the Lord is actually looking for in intimacy. The Lord isn't looking for this casual relationship with us. The Lord's looking for something deeper. The Lord wants the intertwining. He wants the intertwining to where you can't be separated from him and he can't be separated from you. I once uh, heard this pastor, I'm not going to say who, he's controversial, but he, uh, he put it like this, and he, he had like this, uh, like this glass, and he had like a can of, let's just say Mountain Dew, he had a can of Pepsi. And what he does, he opens both cans, and he pours the Mountain Dew into the big cup, the Pepsi into the big cup. Mountain Dew, Pepsi. And then he takes the, the, the vase, the, the cup, and says, okay, go ahead and separate the Pepsi from the Mountain Dew. Would you be able to do it? No, because those two things have become one. And that's what the Bible says. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Um, and a lot of the times what that means is us drawing more near and near to Jesus and the revelation of Jesus opening up more and more to us. And a big part about loving God, I feel like a lot of people struggle with loving the Lord. One, I think that can tends to how the rate at which we've seen him. But a, a big thing, too, is that a lot of times people struggle with loving God because they also love so many other things that are contrary to him. 
And a big part about becoming a friend of the Lord, a bride of the Lord, is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. It's very, very challenging. I'm going to rephrase that. It's impossible to love God and also have affections towards the things that he hates. 1 John uh, 2, 15 through 17 says something like, you know, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these are not of the Father, but of the world. But he who does the will of the Father will abide forever. James 4 talks about being a friend of the world. And it says, he who wants to make himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we need to get to this place to where we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. Um, so a lot of the times, you know, we, we throw out that word love so, so loosely. I love this. I love this. I love this. C.S. Lewis talks about this a little bit in his book called The Four Loves. And he basically talks about how we weren't created to have all of these different loves. Some of these things, yeah, we're supposed to enjoy, but that doesn't mean that we're supposed to attach the word love to them. Um, I, I think it's in Mark, it uh, talks about the parable of the soils, and one of the things that choke the word is the thorns, and in one of the versions, it's either in Mark or Luke, I think, it talks about how the desires for other things come in and choke the world, and how we weren't created to have a million different other lovers and a million different other uh, desires. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's the intertwining, it's, um, it's also the nudge. It's responding when the Lord calls you throughout the day, whether you're working, whether you're resting, whether you're maybe spending time with him. It's responding to the nudge in your heart to go tuck away and be with him. It's responding and leaning in, even if you're driving, even if you're at work, it's leaning in to those moments to where the Lord kind of pops up in your mind. Even just taking a couple minutes and just closing your eyes and taking a breath in, knowing that breath is from him taking a moment saying, Lord, is, is there anything on your heart? Asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything that you're thinking about? Um, so what I've found is I've found the Lord is, is kind of like a vortex. Um, so I don't know if any of you have, have been in one of those. So it's like you got a pool and in the corner you got the vortex. The vortex is spinning around really fast. So you get close enough to the vortex, you automatically start to get sucked in. Um, and then before you know it, you're, you're sucked in, you're spinning around, you're not able to get out. We used to go on vacations a lot as a family. Parents used to take us to the beach. Um, and my mom would always say when we go to the beach, you know, like I would always remember her saying like, oh, don't go out too far. You might get stuck in the undertow. And I found that that's the case with the Lord. I've found that I don't think that we're really as complicated as we think. I really don't think that we need much. I think what we need is a glimpse of the beauty of the Lord. And that's all it's going to take for us to completely get sucked in. Um, some of you know a little bit of my story, some of you don't. Um, you know, I, I grew up believing in God, didn't really, I wouldn't necessarily say I followed the Lord growing up. The Lord touched my life in a powerful way. Um, and then about a year and a half after the Lord brought me out of kind of a crazy lifestyle, I found myself in a ministry school. And I found myself surrounded by a bunch of people who grew up going to church who grew up knowing God, who knew all the songs. I didn't know any of the songs, who were always so happy all the time, and I was not happy all the time. Um, I, I said in first service, like, thank God that Pastor Joey was not over VSOM, Victory School of Ministry, at that time, or else I would probably not be standing before you. Um, and I'm glad you two are here because you two actually played a part in this. Um, so I remember one time at retreat, we all just got done praying. We all just got done having, like, a group prayer time together. And we had some free time, 
So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do on our free time? And some of the people, you too, um, I remember you specifically, Alicia. So I remember some of the people were kind of like, oh, we're going to go outside and we're going to sit by the fire and we're just going to worship. And I'm thinking in my head, like, we just did that. <laughs> like, I'm like, these people are so weird. I'm like, they worship like it's a hobby. They worship like they like enjoy it, like it's fun. Like it's like, oh, we got some free time. Let's just sit around a fire and just worship God. And I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I didn't understand it. Um, as I said before, thank God I got delivered from all of that. But what I believe is that we're going to pursue the Lord at the level and rate at which we've seen him. And a lot of the times our pursuit may not look the way we want it to um, because it, it could be dictated to the level at which we've seen them. Um, a lot of the times we're wondering, man, why am I not hungry for the Lord? Why do I feel like I'm dry? Um, so when you think about physical food, when you think about the more you eat physical food, the hungrier or the more full you're going to be. Um, when it comes to the Lord, I think it's the opposite. When the more we eat and feast on Jesus, the hungrier we become. And soon, once you begin to feast on Jesus, continually and habitually feast on the Lord, soon you're going to crave no other thing. Soon everything else that you thought you had an appetite for, those things are going to drown away, and the Lord's going to fill you with himself. And it's, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. And a lot of the times we think about things like that. Um, a sermon that used to terrify me was when people used to talk about the cost. There's a cost to your calling. There's a cost to consecration. There's a cost to fulfilling the, the call of God in your life, all that kind of stuff. The cost sermon used to terrify me. But then once I realized more and more who the Lord was, once I realized that, um, once I realized that we, were, we were repaid with, with Jesus, it doesn't really seem as much of a cost at all. Once you realize that Jesus is your reward, it's almost like it's almost like we're we're stealing. It's almost like we're just we're getting such the the better way of the deal, because all those things that the Lord's trying to detach ourselves from, um, what He's trying to do, He's setting us up for a greater measure of freedom. We're thinking all the time, oh, but Lord, if I if I fulfill my call, if I consecrate myself, if I pour myself out to you, if I pray and fast, I'm gonna have to give this up. I'm gonna have to give this up. I don't want to give this up, and we think that the Lord's actually like binding and constricting us because we're not allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do that. But what He's actually doing is He's setting us up for a greater measure of freedom. And that goes back to he sees far above what we see. He's seated high above where we're seated. Um, so it's not much of a cost when you realize that Jesus is your reward. Um, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I love that goes along with that. He says, there are far, far better things ahead than any we have uh, left behind. So going on, I want to go, um, I want to go into the book of Philippians. I want to talk about what actually happens a little bit when Jesus begins to, to capture you. Um, so there's this quote by A.W. Tozer that I love, and he says that, I believe it's in his book called The Pursuit of God, he says, one of man's biggest issues is that he can't get past himself. One of man's biggest problems is that he can't get past himself. So what we're prone to do is we're prone to create this laundry list of this is what's wrong with me. This is what I wished was fixed about my life. This is what I wish would change. And we create this huge laundry list and we think that it's our job to check everything off the list. Um, or on the other side of the coin, we're constantly thinking about our accomplishments. We're con uh, 
constantly thinking about all of our achievements. Either side of the coin you're on, whether you're condemning yourself or whether you're, you're just filled with the, the fruit of your good works, all that kind of stuff, you're still consumed with self. Um, so Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 3 through 5 says this. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look uh, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we see that Jesus had, again, a different value system. We see that Jesus um, did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but he counted other people more significant than himself. Later on in this chapter, it talks about how Jesus came, took the form of a servant, and emptied himself, became obedient to the point of death. So if it was part of God's nature, if it was a part of the Lord's nature, the Lord's character, then it's a part of ours as well. What I love is Genesis chapter one, the very first book of the Bible, very first chapter in the first book of the Bible, Jesus, the Lord lays out our identity. And he says that, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. So if we see that this is the mindset of the Lord and we're made in his image, then that means that that should be our mindset as well excuse me, counting other people more significant than ourselves. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13 talks about grace, talks about how uh, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So we learn that literally having a revelation of God deposits grace inside of the believer. Understanding who God is, encountering the Lord in the secret place literally fuels you to live a godly life. It literally fuels you to accomplish whatever he's set out for you to accomplish. Um, and we're going to talk about David for a moment, and then pretty soon I'm going to close. But um, what I love about David, besides Jesus, I think that I'm probably the most impressed by King David. Um, I'm not really impressed. I mean, yeah, slaying Goliath obviously was, was awesome. Uh, king over Israel, that's awesome. But there's something else that catches my attention about King David, um, and that was that the Lord was with him. Um, what catches my attention about David is if you read through the Psalms, um, you see that David knew the Lord so well. But what's interesting is that David grew up in the Old Testament, but his revelation of the Lord seemed to reflect that of someone from the New Testament. It's almost like David walked with Jesus side by side. Um, so I want to read 1 Samuel 16, a couple of different verses. So verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send to you Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. So the Lord is saying to his prophet, he's saying, Look, go to Jesse. I have provided for myself a king. The Lord's saying, Look, I am going to do something myself. I have put my stamp of approval on David, and I have provided for myself a king. Verse 13 says, um, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So it says, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. That rush comes from a word that means saleach. And that word seleak means literally means to attack. 
It means to come upon mightily. So we see that when David was anointed king, when God put his stamp of approval on him, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him in a mighty way. Last verse in 1 Samuel 17 through 18, it says, um, So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So again, what I believe that stands out about David is his revelation of God in the time period at which he lived. And we can see that his revelation of God's faithfulness, his revelation of God's goodness, literally fueled him, deposited grace inside of him. And that's what fueled him to walk in integrity towards Saul. That's what fueled him to, to defeat to Goliath, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it fueled him to walk in integrity. It's the most impressive thing about him to me. It's, it's, it's his revelation of the Lord. So, um, Allison, if you want to come up, I'm about to close here. But... Um, so really what I want to encourage you is that no matter where you're at right now with the Lord, maybe you haven't spent time with the Lord in, in some time. Um, maybe it's kind of like, you know, I, the Lord seems far off. The Lord almost seems like a peer or an acquaintance to me right now. I once heard a pastor say this, no matter where you're at with the Lord, maybe you haven't spent time with him in a while, simply make an appointment. And what do you do when you make an appointment and you show up? Maybe you get there a little bit early. Remember that it's, it's, it's our job to sit and then it's the Lord's job to produce change. So if everyone wants to stand up, what I want to do is what I love about the Lord is that I believe one of his greatest gifts is that he's always near. One of his greatest gifts is that he's always so intertwined with us. And I believe that there's this, this constant, never-ending invitation to more of him. And what I've learned is that there's so many different layers to the Lord. There's, he's almost like an onion. Like there's so many different layers you can constantly peel back. You learn this about him and it's amazing. You peel that back, you realize there's something brand new you never realized before. And it's just this never ending thing of discovering the depths of God.